are listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. There's a gland in the male reproductive system called the prostate. Now, younger men usually don't concern themselves with the prostate, but prostate cancer is a very slow-growing cancer. A study done nearly 20 years ago found that the majority of men who had prostate cancer did not experience any symptoms. Some symptoms include frequent or painful urination and blood in the urine, to name a few. Here to tell his story of dealing with prostate cancer is Michael House of the UK. Michael, thanks very much for doing this. We greatly appreciate you telling your story. Well, thank you for having me. Now, prior to your diagnosis, were you experiencing any problems with your prostate? Right. I think the easiest thing is to tell you how I discovered it, really. The company I worked for sent me away to work in Germany. And while I was there, there was a big festival. Now, I'm not a great drinker. I have a, a drink once in a while, glass of red wine. But while in Germany, I took a taste of their lager. I'm at this festival, and I'm drinking. And I noticed that whenever I went to the bathroom, there was two or three changes next to me before I'd finished. And through over two or three days, I started to feel quite uncomfortable with it. It was hurting me. I was needed to go more and more frequently and at this point I thought you know there's something going on here there's something going on but I'm in, in noise in Germany at this time so I think in right, a couple of weeks time I'm coming home I'll get to doctors so that really was the first time I had a proper problem with it you know I've always put it down to a bit of a weak bladder I know lads who seem to be able to drink and ne- never need the bathroom I've never been like that I've always you know I had to go fairly regularly I've always um this getting up in the night, for instance, is one of the symptoms. But I've been doing it for so long, it was my natural rhythm. I didn't see it as a symptom. So the trip to Germany, the drinking of the lager, sort of what is what broke the camel's back. It just tipped me over to thinking, you know what, this isn't normal now. This is I can't put this off. It's got to be dealt with. So that's when I first found out. And that was the first proper interfering with my lifestyle symptom. You know, Michael, I was in a public washroom the other day, and there were three urinals. And there was an older gentleman there at one of the urinals. And I went, finished, and walked out, washed my hands and walked out. And he was still at the urinal. And I thought, man, you've got some prostate problems. Yes, it's very likely. Michael, when you got your diagnosis, did it come as a bit of a shock to you? Yes, it did. And I think... What you get um, is three or four shocks, if I'm honest with you. Because first I just booked an appointment at my doctor's GP and I mentioned what it was. So he says, oh, well, I want you to see the specialist nurse first before we see the doctor. So I went in, not even realising they'd do a prostate exam. <laughs> a bit naive, but, you know. So they did a prostate exam and he said to me, he says, oh, it's hard and it's enlarged. Now, I didn't know a great deal at the time, but I knew... That was two things wrong. Either one was bad. And I was taking the back of it. And I, but at that stage, 
I was reassured prostate cancer is you know it moves slowly and it can be treated if you've got to have a cancer this is the actual this is the best one to have so to speak which is a phrase I actually heard used and so I walked away thinking it's not good but it could be a lot worse of course then they set you on a system where within two weeks you then go for biopsies ultrasound scan so at that stage, my wife went with me for the second second uh, appointment. So I'll say I was a little bit of shock for the first one. But they were doing the ultrasound scan and the biopsy, which is not the most uh, pleasant experience, as you can imagine. And uh, the nurse was holding my hand while I was going through this. And I noticed their tone change. Professionalism did not change. But you could, there was something in the room changed, the tone changed while they're doing the biopsies. Now, the biopsies are, for me at least, quite uncomfortable. They're not the most gracious thing to, to have done to you. But I noticed it through all of this, and that really gave me cause for concern. So sort of, it ramped up another stage of shock. And then a few minutes later, it's all over in his... Says, is your wife with you? Yes. So why do you need my wife in here? And he called my wife in and sat us both down and said, I want to start you on a series of drugs now. I'm not waiting for the biopsies to come back. In my experience, you need to start now. So he literally gave my wife a prescription, sent her down to the pharmacy and said, go now. They shut at six. I want him on these tablets. This is about five to six. And at that point, I'm thinking oh, this is real. Something is really wrong here. This is real. But at the time, you know, there's no tears, there's nothing else. It's just shock. And my wife is a good, she's a good stoic Yorkshire lass, as we like to call it. It's just, you know, she buttons it up, gets the job done, and then starts on these tablets. And while you know, she comes back very rapidly, he starts to inform me that it doesn't look good. He says, I'd much rather you be on these tablets now I'd much rather you start taking the, uh, the injections immediately. The tablets were to stop um, tumour flare. This can happen when you start treating a tumour. It can react badly at first before it starts being treated. A bit like poking something with a stick. So I then sort of goes home with these tablets, thinking, oh my God, what's now? And so that was a second shock. Then the third shot came through, because then I was sent for a whole, within two weeks, it's what, another second two weeks, we want you to go for a full body scan, enhanced CT scan and bone scan. At this point, there's still official line is, it's probably going to be okay. So me and my wife, Lynn, we went to the hospital, and you lay down in the scanner, and you wait. And it's not the greatest experience in the world. You're the loneliest man in the world at that moment. You're the loneliest person in the world. You wait for the scan. Then I got out of the scan, redressed. And of course nothing happens, does it? Because they can't tell you anything. Not immediately. Within ten days, I think it was seven or eight days later, the message got through to me. I'm sorry to tell you, but your cancer is incurable. We found a mass on the bones of your pubic bone, on your pubic bone, and... You have two extremely enlarged lymph nodes, and it looks like the cancer has spread. 
uh, we call this metastasized cancer or advanced cancer. And while we can't cure it, we can treat it. Because I'd started the tablets earlier, they immediately injected me in the stomach with a prostat. It's a, an injection to stop testosterone. And it's the first line of treatment at that stage. And that really all snowballed together in one day. And that was basically the third shock. And at that stage, you really do not know what to think. No, all of it so, all of it has come so quickly. What's going through your mind, Michael, when they, they say it's incurable? At this stage, you don't know whether you've got five months or five years. And that's the reality. And I, I, I come, this is all happening on the lead up to Christmas 2015. And all I could think was, well, let's have a good Christmas. Because I didn't know if I was going to make a second one. Um, I was numb to a great extent. Um, I never really got angry. I decided I can't. I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm not having this. I'm not having this. And I went online, which sometimes is the best thing you can do, and sometimes it's the worst, as I'm sure you're aware. And first thing I found was life expectancy for somebody with advanced prostate cancer. And at the time, the average is two and a half years, and the survival rate at five years is less than thirty percent. And at that stage, I felt it was very real, very real. Um, I didn't really know what to say, what to think. I just decided to carry on. I was working at the time uh, for a well-known confectionery company. I told them at work, and they were excellent, by the way. My employees, employees um, I will never, ever fault them. But I said, keep working, Michael, keep working. Keep, I was a big keen gym goer. So I'll keep working, keep going to the gym. Keep working. And it's to keep my mind active. And so that's what I did until I got a, an interview with my specialist. And at this point he says, we can send you for a clinical trial. And I'm thinking, yes, anything's better than what's on offer. And he says, you'll get this letter just after Christmas for your clinical trial. So... Christmas came, and as you can imagine, part of me is a little bit hyper, wanting to do something and a bit too jolly with my family, being the brave, brave soldier sort of thing. And another part of me inside is sort of laying in bed thinking, this is crap. So that's where I found myself at that stage. So what was your next step after, after that, when they talked about a clinical trial? Right. The original clinical trial was tried to get me on at St. James's, which is a, quite a well-known and respected hospital. Um, they couldn't do. Uh, they had the numbers or there was some financing thing. So he sent me to another one at Sheffield. And I have to say, I had no clue what they were going to do to me at that stage. I didn't even really ask. I know you should, but sometimes there's so much crap going on. He's just thinking, I don't know if I can do this. But I thought, right, I'm going. And I went to a place called Western Park. It's one of the, actually one of the leading cancer specialist hospitals. I didn't know it at the time. So I went to see a fine doctor, a wonderful woman. And she sat me down and says, talking to me. Oh, here's another thing. Before we get on to what she told me, the urologist started telling me how 
oh, this could happen and that could happen and this could buy me so much time, that could buy me so much time. And me and my wife are sitting there and I'm looking at all the low numbers. She's looking at all the high numbers. So if he says, we, two, we can buy two to three years with this treatment and one to two years with that, I was always taking the ones and the threes and she was always taking the twos and the fives. And we walked out there thinking that, you know, he just had it all up to six or seven years for me. And my wife thought, he's got up to eight or nine years. So both of us were starting to think, well, okay, it's not going to be good. But in eight or nine years, you don't know what's going to be around. Well, I came down to earth at that stage with an oncologist. And because she said to me, Michael, I hope to buy you between 20 and 24 months, not five or six years. So at this stage, I'm just thinking, that's two years. He said five or six. You're talking two. And another reality check hits you. It's a bit of a body slam, what's that? I have to say, a bit of a body slam. So, as you can imagine, we, we took the train home. And, uh, yeah. yeah. You don't know what to think. No, it's quite a shock when all of this gets thrown at you so quickly as it did, oh, yeah. did with you. I mean, your your mind must be just uh, going a mile a minute trying to figure out what to do next. In my head, I was planning my funeral. In my head, I was thinking, what do I do about this money? What do I do about this? What do I do about that? Have I left things right for Lynn? Uh, and at the same time, that part of me is thinking, all right, that's one part of the problem. The other part of the problem is, what do I do now? What do I do? And at the time, there wasn't very... I couldn't find much at all. Because I was, I was casting around in the dark. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything. And as you know, out there, there are a million treatments for cancer. Mm-hmm. And I would say 999,990 are false or scams. There's just a handful of things that are really positive that you can do to help yourself. And I had to discover what they were the hard way, unfortunately. And that was my next plan. Michael, in this process that you were going through, how did you happen to discover cannabis oil? The doctor put me on chemotherapy. It's a drug called docetaxel. And it comes with a um, steroid, pendisolone or something. I, I always pronounce the name wrong. I turned up for that, and I thought, you know, I start, you know, I'm telling people at work, I start chemo on Friday, so I'm having Friday off work. All right, yeah, uh, see you Monday, lads. So I had that conversation, then went on Friday, put the needle in me, all the rest of it. And, and the chemo, which was a utterly bizarre experience. And I was asking people, talking to people, didn't really get much information. But the second round chemo, I was like, this old gentleman. And he said to me, he says, what are you in for? I said, prostate cancer is here and there and everywhere. He says, oh dear. He says, that's not good at all. That's nearly as bad as um, pancreatic cancer, isn't it? I says, I gather so, I gather so. And he says, well, between you and me, he sort of lent in quietly. He says, I know his fella supplies me with his cannabis oil. It's amazing stuff, he says. I'm halfway through the treatment and had me interim scan to see if it were working. And especially says it's gone. Wow. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was the fellow with that the pan- got, pancreatic cancer. Yeah. That got uh, your attention, course. eh, Michael? 
<laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> big style, big style. So, of course, he wrote this note down and things. But, of course, I mean, by the same lot, I'm in a bit of chemo fog. And not the best organised person, not, not particularly well with it. So, and I lost the note with the address on. And I just thought, no. Oh, God, what do I do now? And of course, I've only heard a story from a man, in, granted in a hospital, but yeah. So I started doing more research. So straight in, bit of research, cannabis oil, prostate cancer. Oh, it can do this. Oh, my interest was peaked. And then I thought, like, where's my piece of paper? Couldn't find it. But I came across, and I came across CBD oil. I thought, well, that's cannabis oil without the fun, without the THC, so to speak. And I thought, I just on spec, ordered it. I thought, try anything. Ordered it there and then. Well, I thought, well, until I found another address and somebody could supply me with a better stuff. Well, I started taking the capsules and I noticed something that I was able to perform a bit better. I was less foggy, um, less uncomfortable myself. I was able to continue working. Um, so I started taking it morning and evening. So I'm taking 400 milligrams a day, which isn't anywhere near what some people would say you require. But I was taking it every day. And I thought, you know, if nothing else, it seems to be keeping me calm. I seem to be eating well. I didn't bother with the nausea meds. I threw them away. Uh, as far as I was concerned, the less medication I was on, the better. Because I know for a fact that your liver and your kidneys are stressed by all the medication. And the less stress you put them under, the longer they live, you know. And so I started taking this. And I only had four more sessions to do because they weren't going to give me the full eight. They give you that end of life, usually. It's normally everything else failed. The kitchen sink's been thrown at you, then you die. But the treatment they gave me was before all else had failed. So I took the tablets and I found myself a lot better. I continued going to the gym, even though I was on chemo. I was going to the gym two or three times a week. I was still working, though I took the Monday off after that. I'd got my chemo on a Friday. I've Saturday, Sunday in my pyjamas, so to speak. Um, Monday, go back. Monday, I took off again. Then started work Tuesday. And only on the last round did I take more time off work. Which, you know, talking to everybody else, everybody seemed to think, you did down well there, mate. But I am who I am. I'm a bit stubborn. A bit stupid on occasion. But sometimes they both help me. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> so you were taking the CBD oil from yeah. a source that was the source in the UK or outside the UK? Right. The, the company was UK-based. The source was an organic farm in the Netherlands. So it was purely organic. Um, and it's quite legal in the UK. Uh Quite a few people I know take it. One or two people I know now take it because of me, including a very good friend of mine who has MS. And her story is more remarkable than mine in many respects. Now, I have read about the fact that you need THC. And I'm not even going to argue on the subject because I don't know better than anybody else. But what I can tell you is you sometimes you have to use the tools you've got. There's no point sitting there complaining I've got no THC when I can't get older. I didn't know anybody to get older of it from. Um, it's not part of my life. It isn't marijuana. Um, and I just didn't know. I knew I could get the 
the recreational stuff quite easily. It's, it's available on the street, so to speak. But I didn't trust that, and I didn't know what to do with it if I did it, if I had it, you know. So I just took the uh, the CBD. Michael, and, how long were you taking the CBD before you had another uh, examination w- w- in which the doctor told you the state of your prostate cancer? I was having the chemotherapy every three weeks, and I took the CBD for the last four sessions, so about 12 weeks, 12 to 15 weeks. Two weeks after my last session of chemotherapy, they asked me to go for a, a full scan again. Normally they do it four weeks after, but for some reason I was sent a bit early. They apologised for that later, but in actual fact I wasn't there. <laughs> it was one of those things that I don't know why you're bothering. Yeah, the news was that, that good. But that was end of June. I started in the end of February, and the end of June I had my second full body scan, uh, enhanced CT scan, lower abdomen. So they checked all my bones out, all my body out, everything, top to bottom. And that was the end of June. I had the scan. Like I say, they don't give you a result on the spot in the UK. I don't know what they do in Canada. No, no, you have to wait. It has to be read. Yeah. Exactly. The doctor doctor pointed out to me that she said, what people don't always realise is the scans aren't as clear as you think they are. It's not like on the television. Um, they have to be interpreted correctly, otherwise you end up with false positives or false negatives. And the resolution is never quite what you expect it to be. It's never as good as the television. It's the problem with watching programs like House or you know, other medical programs where they cure somebody in 90 minutes. It's, in the real world, it's not like that, is it? Really? No, it's not. <laughs> so anyway, I, I got a message. I left it through. Can you go for an appointment? See the doctor on such and date. So me and my wife went through, and we slept in the waiting room. All my friends were texting me and Facebook and things. Fingers crossed, hope you're doing well, buddy, all the rest of it. And I sat there, and that was doing at 11. Notice comes on the walls. Sorry for the delay. There's a delay of one hour. Oh, yeah, so the tension's building, and I thought, oh, okay, 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 I'll have a cup of tea. Settle down. It's only an hour. The hour turned into three. So at two o'clock in the afternoon, we've been waiting. I got there early as well. So we've been waiting in the hospital nearly four hours at this stage. Um, I got the message, yeah, come in, the doctor will see you now. I'm in with Lynn, holding hands, and I'm just sat there waiting. You know, of course, this woman's about to tell me whether I live or die, in the very real terms. And this doctor, I don't know if I mentioned it, but she's in a wheelchair. I don't know her personal story. But it's quite obvious that uh, she has enough problems of her own, really, but still she's doing such a sterling job. Um, and she, she just came into the room where I was sat, and she just looked at me. And I'm thinking, get on with it, get on with it. And she leant forward. She just looked at me and smiled and says, you have had a beautiful outcome. And you know when you don't realise you've been holding your breath? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's just like, <sighs> and I just, I just, just sat there, and I'm almost checking. I'm just, like, and then she says that we could not find any sign of disease. So of course I had to say, wow. what you couldn't find it in the prostate? No, I couldn't find it here. No, I couldn't find it in the lymph. No, I couldn't find it in the back. No, even though she told me, but you still have to go through it, don't you? And then uh, my wife just chipped in, sort of thing. 
what comes next? And I sort of looked at her and said, nothing. There's nothing to point radio waves at. There's nothing for a surgeon to remove. There's nothing for more chemotherapy to deal with. And we were just shocked. And we just, like, I can honestly say I didn't even celebrate sort of thing. I was just numb. It's, it's was, surreal, isn't it, when you get that? Oh, oh grief, yes. It made bad television because I was just a poker faced almost with it. You know, it's just a no. Because it, it then slowly, sort of the realisation, as you're walking out of the hospital and then going to the train station, it's like, good grief. Better ring my mum. Better ring my mum. Now, my mum's, I won't say her age, but if I'm 55, I have a guess. So I rang my mum up and uh, says, you're never going to guess what's happened. She says, I saw your Facebook page, you've done very well. I says, that isn't, that isn't the full truth. I says, I can't find any cancer anywhere. And my mother whooped down the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that really broke the spell. Michael, when you were told this good, exciting news, and I assume that when you left the hospital, you were still in a somewhat uh, of a state of shock. Yeah. When did it really hit you that, man, I'm cancer-free? I think my mother's whoop uh, broke the spell a little bit. And then it just, it does take time. It does take time. And of course, back in mind, you're still thinking, all right, is it going to come back? Is it going to come back tomorrow? Is it going to come back in six weeks? There's still a little bit of that at the back of your head. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I, I remember I went to work at, uh, two days later, because that was when my shift started. And I walked in, and uh, my mate said to me, you can tell you got good news. I said, what do you mean? He says, you haven't stopped grinning for four hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, yeah, there's a good reason I haven't stopped grinning for four hours. I haven't stopped grinning for four days, actually. You know, my jaw started awake. <laughs> uh, and it really started to come home to me. It, it, it was a slow burn. Uh, it wasn't sudden. It wasn't joyous in that respect. But it's been much more longer lasting. It just it burned slowly. And I, I woke up in the morning. There's no cancer. I thought, yeah, I'm going to get you out of the There's no cancer. No. And you do get that. And then started to think, right, this is wonderful. What do I do now? And I know that sounds a bit odd, in that I didn't just go out and get drunk or throw out the juicer. But I then thought, right. After a week or two, I thought, I've got a head start here now. How can I keep it at bay? How can I stop it returning? Because the official line is, it comes back within a year for 50% of men, which is a surprise to me. And this was two years ago, correct? This was two years ago, yes. So, I've, uh, I've every three months I have a PSA test, and every three months I come back with good news. So my PSA is lower than it was a year ago, and so far, so good. Are you? Um, con- sorry to interrupt, are you continuing to take CBD? Oh, God, yes. In fact, uh, I've just recently been on holiday. And one of the things I did was I packed the capsules. I buy capsules for holidays. And the great thing about them is you, you can take just enough for your holiday. You pack it with all your ordinary supplements. And nobody really notices. Technically, they're legal in most of Europe. So while even on holiday, I'd take them. I'd just bite the capsule, let it run under my tongue. 
and then wash it down with a bit of uh, something. Just a fresh, you know, it doesn't taste so good, does it? A bit of chocolate's nice. That works really well. Michael, one of the questions I like to ask people who have really faced death and the prospect of dying was only months away, according to the current medical profession, has this changed your perspective of life at all? Three weeks ago, I well, no, here's the thing. I reached 55, which meant I could get uh, my pension. So I cashed the pension in to get so much money per month and a lump sum. I'm not getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to work. I'm not working till 10 o'clock at night. I'm not working next to machinery and equipment. I, I don't enough of that. So I thought, I'll take early retirement, enjoy my life. And then three weeks ago, I applied for a job. And the job is working with brain-injured people. And it's, one of, it's an extremely fulfilling job. It's completely and utterly different than working in the chemical industry, pharmaceutical industries. I've done all sorts of things over the years, worked on big engines, big diesel engines. And this was utter change. If you saw my CV, it has nothing to do with this at all. There's not, no hint this is coming. And you asked about changes. So, yes, I think you can say fundamentally it's changed me a great deal. Uh, just after I got the, the all clear, well, not, I won't call it an all clear, but the no sign of disease, I decided to do, a, there's a local challenge walk called the Yorkshire Three Peaks, and it's it's hard work, to be fair. And I did it for charity, I did it for cancer research, and I did it, and I earned £400 for it. And this was about two months after coming off the, the chemo. But I knocked myself down for a couple of weeks after that. It wasn't very good for a few days. And this year, I'm doing a half marathon, and I'm doing this for the local hospice. This is the sort of thing that I hadn't done for a long time. When I was younger, I used to do things like that. But then you have a family, you have problems, you have your life, I got redundant, got another job, got made redundant, got another job. These things take a back seat, but now they're not the back seat anymore. I'm helping other people, both directly and indirectly, and I work with them, and it's such a change in life, and so much more fulfilling. It's not that I hated my job, but I love what I do now. Michael, when you say there's no sign of disease, does that mean you currently are cancer-free? Right. The official line is yes, because there was no sign of it on the last scan, and the first sign of it coming back is a raised PSA. So every three months I have a blood test regardless. Um, I'm hoping to make some changes early next year. But I was trying to get enough information together to know what I was doing. Always look before you jump with cancer treatments. It really is important. But, yes, I, well, to put it bluntly, I have not the slightest problem in the bathroom. Um, I still wake up occasionally in the night and go for a pee, but 90% of the men at 55 do the same thing. Uh, I have no pain, no discomfort, nothing. It's a remarkable story because you had prostate cancer, metastasized to the pubic bone, the lymph nodes, and the doctor said it was incurable, and they gave you 20 months to 24 months, so less, yes. just a little less than two years, and here you are and you're cancer-free, and you're probably feeling better than you were prior to your diagnosis. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- actually, there's not some there's some truth in that. Uh, I guess, like I say, uh, next Sunday, I'm running a half marathon, and I haven't run that kind of distance since I was twenty. Good for you. Well, you're crazy. <laughs> well, I think that helps. I think it really does help. It does. Michael, a wonderful... People... Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say a wonderful story. And Thank anything you. you'd like to say in conclusion? Um, don't give up hope. Do your research. And use the tools that are available. You know, it's no good saying, oh, there's no point, there's no THC. Yes, if you can get the good stuff, goodness sake... Do it. But just because you can't doesn't mean it's not worth trying, especially if you're using it with other therapies. I I doubt very much I would be in this position if I hadn't have had the chemotherapy as well, because I don't think on its own it would be powerful enough, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. But now, now it's beaten back enough that they can't find it. It appears to be strong enough to hold it at bay. Um, but now putting out the feelers, etc., just in case. But like everybody else in this position, I look after my diet. Ooh. Lots of red berries, lots of green vegetables every day. Not once in a while, not now when, then when I feel like it. I have quite a lot of turmeric in my diet. And there's a, a product called, you come across it, Pommy Tea. P-O-M-I dash T. And it's basically turmeric, green tea, pomegranate and broccoli in a capsule. And there's a very good clinical trial out there. Uh, so 2013, it's UK, NHS, and uh, I think it's Cancer Research. So this is a double-blind trial showing this supplement keeping your PSA down. I think it's well worth anybody with prostate problems looking for that trial. Not take my word for it, but it's a genuine clinical trial. Do your research, keep positive, and keep the fight up. Be stubborn. Michael, good for you, and good luck in your half marathon next week. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time and uh, no problem. Excellent story. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much, you, no Michael. Thank you. Bye bye, Corey. Take care. I will. Thank you. If you follow us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, which is the app you can listen to Cannabis Health Radio on, then why don't you write a review about this program because they don't post reviews until you receive five. So write a review, iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and uh, tell us what you think of Cannabis Health Radio. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to PodConnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why isn't the endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. 
Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.